For you are worthy to be praised. We worship your God. We magnify your God. Lord, we are desperate for you. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Have thine own way, O God. May your word, which is sharper than a two-edged sword, cut us deep, O God, that we will truly, truly hold on to your righteousness and remove, Lord, what is not of you, that we will walk in obedience to your will, Lord, truly leaning on you, God. Through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray, God, for preaching permission to preach your word here in this tabernacle to your people, God. Father, Lord, we pray for a word on high that will transform us, that will encourage us, and also definitely, Lord, make clear who Jesus Christ is as the resurrected Lord and Savior. Father, this is our prayer. All those agree, say amen. Amen. If you can join with me into Philippians, the first chapter. Introducing a new theme as we get ready to close out this year. Dealing with our stewardship, preparing for our next calendar year but realizing that we can't make it far if we don't do it together. And so the theme is having the mind of Christ serving in unity. If you can help me announce this theme to your neighbor, letting know having the mind of Christ serving in unity. The Bible reflects to us how two is better than one. The Bible tells us how good it is and how pleasant for brothers to join together in unity. The Bible reminds us one can send a thousand of flight and two can send ten thousand of flight. It reminds us that we can do more together than we can do apart. Am I talking to somebody this morning? And so we want to see how great we can be. When we come together and work together, we want to see how we can overcome any obstacle when we can come together and work together. That's all right. I'll just preach to the lights if they're going to amen me. It's all right. We are looking at the letter written to the church in Philippi. Paul wrote this letter to this Roman city first church that he established in Europe. Uh, this church is known because we know it from when Paul was there. They stripped him and beat him down publicly, imprisoned him with Silas. And at that midnight hour, uh, they were singing and all of a sudden an earthquake came and the jail doors swung open and the chains fell off and and a soldier was about to kill himself, thought that the the prisoners, the detainees escaped, but, but, but Paul told him, hold on, we still here. <laughs> and then that man fell on his knees saying, what must I do? And his whole household became saved. 
It's amazing how when we are looking not about ourselves, about others' good, how God can use us to be a blessing to somebody else. And so Paul has established a relationship with the people uh, there. And so he's writing this letter from Rome. He's in Rome not by will per se, but he is there by will. But he is in chains while he is there. And, and the reason why he's in chains while he is there, because he's going there to plead his case that it's okay to preach the gospel. Uh, if the Jews had their way, they wanted him dead, but they had no reason to kill him. So that's why I says, take my case all the way to Caesar. So he's on his way to see Caesar. He wants to plead his case to the highest court and let them know that my king, my God, he is supreme. Hallelujah. And so he, now he's in prison. He's in chains over these years. He writes to all his fellow loves. He walks through the church, to the saints, to many people during this time. And this is one of the letters that he has written at this time to the church of Philippi. I'm going to begin reading at verse 3 to verse 11 of Philippians, the first chapter. I am reading from the New Living Translation. I starts and says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. You have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending the confirming of the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what, what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteousness character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Praise God for his word. I want to deal with the topic today, the power of fellowship. The power of fellowship. Church grows through fellowship. The church grows through fellowship. Your church cannot grow if there's no commonality. Y'all can talk to me. If not, I'm going to just preach, preach for a long time till I feel you got it. So the quicker you talk to me, the quicker I'll sit down. Now, if y'all not talk to me, I'm going to keep on talking. It seems like you're not getting it. A church grows through fellowship. All right, all right. Because if you don't get along, nobody's going to come along. Nobody wants to enter a house full of mess. Nobody wants to go to a place that's disorganized. Nobody wants to be a place where people are beating each other up because if they're beating up on the person sitting next to you, pretty soon think they're going to what? Start messing with you. So who wants to be in a place where there's no fellowship, where there's no commonality, where there's no unity? Every time you walk in the place, somebody's talking about somebody else. They're gossiping about somebody else. They're not just getting along. But when you look at this letter to Philippi, you don't see Paul saying that. 
He says, I thank my God, and every time I remember you in my prayers. Come on, somebody. And, and, and when you get there, you, 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 you should be able to say, I thank my God every time I think about Zion. And, and, and you, you should be able to be so overwhelmed with joy and love because, you know, I have something in common with them. But where there's no fellowship, there's no unity. And where there's no un- unity, that means there's confusion. And where there's confusion, that means the enemy got his foot up in there somewhere. Because if you look at the heading of the letter, it says to the overseers or bishops or elders and deacons. He's writing to the leadership to project this letter to the church. And he's pointing this out that it needs to come from you so the people can see it. Let me help you out. God gives the vision to the leader. And the leader tells the vision to the people. But if the people tell the leader the vision, they're creating division. Not the vision, but division. They're dividing up the people because now nobody knows who's to follow. That's why you can't have too many chiefs. That's why you have somebody on top. And they have your lieutenants. But we see that too many times in our lives that we get into places and we think we know what's better. And so we don't thank God for somebody. You thank God for yourself. Oh, aren't you glad that I came by? <laughs> Didn't I help you out? <laughs> oh, you know you could have made it without me. We, we sometimes think of ourselves higher than we ought to. But Paul says, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, I thank my God for you. And, and, and I thank my God for you because I get joy from this fellowship. One thing to talk about, to, 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 to test your church, to see if it's going down the wrong path. When you, start, when you start losing joy every time you come into the place. When you dread coming to the house of God, you need to check yourself. Because the safest place should be the house of God. But if we allow the enemy to have his way, then he's going to keep everybody outside of the church. But fellowship means to have a close, mutual relationship. Participating or sharing or a partnership and, contri- and contribution. Everybody's an equal partner. Tell your neighbor you're an equal partner. Tell your neighbor you're an equal partner. Because we are here in this together. It's, it's times like this we realize how much we need each other because when times when you really need them, you'll find out they've always been there. That, that, let me slow this down. Let me let you grab what I'm saying here. That when you have a brother already, that when crisis come, they're already there. Too many times in our lives that when we are in trouble, many of us look around and realize there's nobody by your side. And then you look back over your life, you realize why they're not by your side, because you push them away. But when you have a commonality and a love and affinity that when you want to be alone and you're going through your troubles, you can't get them away because they just keep on showing up. It's sometimes when people go into the hospital, 
people say you must be a celebrity because everybody keeps on coming by and visiting you. Why? Because when you are a part of somebody's life and something happens to you, they want to be there. Oh, what a, how a church should be filled with those that care for one another. That if you're going through something, that means I'm going through something. If you're sorrowful, I'm sorrowful. If you're burdened, I'm a burden. A friend shared to me that a, bur- a burden shares a burden half. A joy shared is joy doubled. I want the double I want to have. But it's hard to do that when I don't have somebody with me. So this work, is a, this work of fellowship is a joy. And Paul is pointing out, though, even though I'm in chains, I'm locked up in prison, I still have Joy. Think about it. You might not be locked up in chains in prison, but sometimes you might be locked up in your house with a sickness. But you still get joy knowing that the saints are praying for you. You still get joy knowing that somebody's going to call you and tell you, I was just checking in on you. You still get joy when somebody just brings you a hot bowl of soup. You get joy when you get that get well card or I'm just thinking of you or I'm missing you. You get joy just because you realize that that's the love of Christ being poured out by your brother and your sister. Oh, the joy of fellowship. Because the fellowship stems from, tell your neighbor, it comes from Jesus. Tell your neighbor again, make sure they got it straight. Say, it comes from Jesus. See, our fellowship is not based on our address. Our fellowship is not based on how well the preacher preaches. Our fellowship is not based on how well the choir sings. Our fellowship is not based on how good my teacher is in Sunday school or Bible study. But our fellowship is that whom we sing for, whom we preach about, whom we teach about is all the same. His name is Jesus. And so when I abide in the true vine, come on, he abides in me. And when he's abiding in me, stuff starts working. And the stuff that starts working in me starts producing fruit. That's why Paul was persuaded that the God who begun a good work will complete it. Aren't you glad that God does not do a job halfway? Look, look, look how we try to put our lives together. We do it just as we put our Bikes together from the store, toys together, whatever it is. You try to do it all by yourself. Some of y'all learn y'all lessons. You say, I don't do that anymore, right? Not anymore. But you might have tried it before that you just got it out the box. You just want to go straight to playing with it. Get a new computer, get a new phone. You just go straight to playing with it. Don't read the instructions. Don't learn how to do all those. You just pull, take it on out. I already know how to make a phone call. And so you hang it up on people because you didn't know what button to touch. And, 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 and what gets me is this, is just like when you put a bike together, you got all these screws, these nuts, and these bolts you got to put together, or you're putting together those entertainment sets. Some of those entertainment sets are just so confusing. You know, they got all A through, like, through double Z. You're like, why are you on double Z now? I'm just trying to figure it out. That means they got too many steps. And then you get all done, you know, you see something laying on the ground that happens to be a screw. Just so happens. 
And the problem is, that's how our lives are. We walking around with a screw loose. We think we got it all together, but something's missing. You think you put it all together, but something just laying there down on the ground, and you find out there's something missing. In our lives, uh, many times, we think we got it all together, but there's something missing. And it can only be completed by Jesus. Because if we abide in him, he abides in us, and they will know that we are his disciples by how we love one another. See, the common fellowship that we have is love. Tell your neighbor, love. Love comes from God. Tell your neighbor, love comes from God. Because God is love. You, you want what's full and complete. When you buy a new car or you get a new car and it's new to you, if, even if it's used, it's new to you and you get it, right? You want the oil full. You want the gas tank filled. You want all the fluids that need to be in that car taken care of. Am I right about it? You want it in good condition so that you can fully go where you want to go. Same thing in our lives, that God wants us to be filled with everything that we need so that we can run this race. That's why I am convinced, Paul says, that he will complete the good work he's begun in us until the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we see fellowship develops confidence and joy. And this is why we're confident that God will do what? Give us greater understanding of his love. Your love will grow. And when you know love, you know God. And God is love. And God is love. That means God is righteous. God is holy. He is merciful. He is gentle. He is long-suffering. He is kind. He has self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. My God, aren't you glad that God will give you the ability to be who you want to be? That you can be that better man, that better woman. You can be that better child, that better husband, that better wife, that better grandparent. All by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because some of us, we know that we are about to lose our minds at some jobs. But if it had not been by his grace that caught you on your way to your boss's door, ready to tell him or her what you think about them, and God hits you up that when you open up that door, all you can do is smile say, I'm okay. Because he who's begun a good work will complete it. You see, God is working on us. And in us. But you got to be a good patient. You, you, you know, you know, a, a good patient obeys what the doctor says. You know, those good patients are just easy going. You know, they, 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 they like, just like in a, a barber, he wants you to move your hair, you move your hair with them. You know, you, you go, you go to, to give blood. They give, you just give them the arm. You don't complain. You, you go to the doctor. He tells you to do this. You just do it. I mean, people like people like that. And it makes things easier. So it's amazing when you go to places and you, and you let them serve you like that, they put you on the top of the list. They will make sure they take care of you because they know you're easy to deal with. But those difficult people, they let them wait. Now, I ain't got time for them today. I got to wait. I got to build up my patience. I got to wait. But, oh, you come on in. Come on in. And the thing is this, that if you are a good patient, 
and God is working on you, that means you got to stay still. That's why doctors are smart. They sedate you because they know you're going to move. <laughs> they about to cut you. He said, you ain't going to use that. That's too big. <laughs> they put you out so that they can work on you. Some of y'all are not comfortable. If y'all don't catch on, God going to put you out. Watch out. You see, we got to catch on and realize that our God is faithful and he will complete a good work that he's begun in us until the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and Paul gets excited about that. So he said, it's right for me to feel this way about you. I have you in a special place in my heart. He says, from the bowels or the entrails or from the heart. He's basically with everything that I got, I love you. Do you say that about your fellow brothers, sisters, that God is working on your heart so much so that you can say, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I love you. That I, I genuinely care whether you succeed or if you fail. And if you fail, it hurts me because I love you that much. And when you succeed, I succeed because I love you that much. It's another thing to see how much somebody loves you that when they congratulate you when you succeed. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people will, will come to you in your demise and say, I'm sorry for you. I'm sorry that this happened. But very few come to your celebrations because they they jealous. They're envious. Nobody came to my party. There's more people here that came to mine. What's really going on? We, we judge stuff like that, but we should not get caught up. And trying to judge somebody, but we should say, if you are succeeding, then the kingdom of God is succeeding, then I'll rejoice. And from the bottom of my heart, I love you. And, and he says, God, as my witness, knows how much I love you. How many of you can say that today? Oof. And you can look at somebody and say, God knows as of my witness, I love my church. Because if God sees it, then other people see it. And then they know you how much you love your church. Look how his confidence moves his passion to pray. Because if you really love your church, then this would be your prayer. You'll pray that love will overflow. You'll pray that you will have more and more knowledge and understanding. You will pray that each one will truly, truly, truly grow and be pure and blameless before the Lord. And, and the way this will happen is well, you will always give words of encouragement more than you will give words of discouragement. You will look how to build somebody up and not look how to tear them down. You will learn to have an encouraging eye and not a critical eye. Because if you look at it, just think about it for a moment, that when you go to a picnic, you can look at the insects that you attract. If you go to a place with a lot of bees and you got something sweet, they go into what is sweet. And if you have flies, they go to anything and everything. They just scatter. And sometimes in our lives, that's how we are. We like flies. We just go to anything. But we really want what's sweet. For the word of God is sweeter than a honeycomb. And we need to make sure that we hold on to that sweetness of God. That we collectively draw people together with the sweetness of God. And now we're just spreading each other out with all this embitterness and, and, and going back. Because, you know, flies are just nasty creatures. They'll eat anything and everything. And you just don't know where they last landed when they land on your food. But bees, though, we love bees because they bring us honey. 
They pollinate and, and make sure our gardens grow and make sure our trees stay pollinated. They, they take care of it. So, so, so when you see bees around, that's a good thing. Because that means there's some honey somewhere. And we too need to realize that, God, we need to be like bees. And be making some honey, making some sweet refreshment that will revive somebody. That when they come to the church, that, that we got something to offer them. They walk away with a smile on their face. So they go put, have some honey to go along with and to sweeten up the day. Because sometimes in our lives we realize that it's, it's so hard all by myself. But when I get with the saints, so everything is just a little bit sweeter. As the song says, sweeter as the day goes by, it's just sweeter. We need to realize that God makes things sweeter. The saints, tell your saint, make it sweeter. Because we got to work together in this. He's confident their love will grow. That your understanding will give you discernment. That you will know what is righteous. And you will follow what is righteous. And, and you will test or prove what is worthwhile. What is right. It means that it's not in vain. That you will make sure that your living is not in vain. You will, you will make sure that you are not here just idle. Because many of us know that we might not see Christ come. So what will your dash mean? From your date of birth to your end year, that dash, what, what will be in that small dash? See, 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 when you write your obituary, you only got so much paper. But if somebody sees that dash, they might look back over their life and say, I remember Brother Price, uh, how he was there for me in my time of need. Uh, he was a good father. He was a good husband. And I modeled my life after him. Or somebody else might say, I, I remember Mighty Buckner. And I remember how she could sing just like the angels. And how she was a mother to all the people that came into the house of God. you got to realize that what is your dash going to mean? Is your living worthwhile? Because you need to test those things because some of us are doing stuff without asking God, first should I go? It just looked good, so you go. You went. You weren't sent. But we got to make sure, Lord, I want to test and prove, make sure that my motives are not hidden, that they are pure, they're sincere. We, we, we write it kind of, kind of superfluously now at the end of a letter, sincerely, and we don't mean it. And, and, and that's why I try to be careful using that word, because how you going to give somebody a letter that's very stern, sincerely your boss, right? <laughs> sincerely means to be sincere, to be have, having good intentions, which we normally do, but sincerely means pure and no hidden motive. Sometimes people write down sincerely, and that's not their intent. They really didn't mean to hurt you. But if we stand before our God, we can say that my heart is pure. That my heart is blameless because, Lord, I strive each and every day. Come on, somebody. I, I work hard each and every day to crucify my flesh and be filled with your spirit so that I can stand before you. Because I want to understand, Lord, what really matters. I want to live a life that's pure and then look, look, so that I may always be filled with your righteousness. See, in order for us to have a pure and blameless lifestyle, we first have to be filled with his righteousness. You see, look, look, when you look at verse uh, 11 and you look at verse 6, it kind of coincides that he who's begun a good work. God does not halfway do something. So he has given us the power of the Holy Spirit. And since we have the power 
of the Holy Spirit, we are now able to go out into this dark world and be a beacons of light. We are able to encourage one another through our love and through our fellowship and our partnership to build up one another. Because building a better community means I'm building you up, you're building me up, and in unity we're building a better community. Because it goes on to say that when I realize that my God is the true vine, and I abide in him, he abides with me, and we are abiding together, then when you fall, I fall, so let me help you back up as you help me back up. And we keep on running this race. We know this journey is long. That's why we got to endure unto the end. We got to pace ourselves and realize that the enemy tries to give us shortcuts and easy routes, but we got to trust our God that he truly knows what's best for us. And so when we're filled with the fruit of righteousness, we're able to see the wicked schemes of the enemy. Now, Paul wrote on and said, after doing all things, just stand. Stand in the power of God and his mind, putting on the whole armor of God. And while you're doing that, you'll realize you'll be bringing much glory to your neighbor, much glory. And much praise. Am I talking to somebody here? If you're doing this, you're bringing much glory and much praise. Am I talking to somebody here? Because you are not made for yourself. But you were made for the glory of God. I, I'm going to leave you all alone in a minute, but I just got to tell you like this. Because when I'm reading this and I realize how to be filled uh, with his righteousness, uh, a tutor comes to mind, and, and this tutor's name is David. Do y'all know David? David was a shepherd boy sitting out in his father's field, watching the sheep. Samuel came by his father's house looking for the next king. David's out minding his own business. Watching the sheep. And this is important because his sheep uh, are, are being protected by him. And he had a story about protecting his sheep. Because time came, his older brothers uh, serving in the army. King Saul sank, shaking, scared in his tent. Because some uncircumcised Philistine decided to mock their God. Aren't you glad that God can call somebody out of the field? David came out of the field and say, why y'all scared? What's going on? How dare this uncircumcised Philistine talk about my God? He got upset and he became zealous for God. He went and told Saul because first the rumor went around the camp that there's some little kid talking loud. But he was saying something. He wasn't talking loud and saying nothing. But he was saying that I know my God can overcome any big obstacle in front of me. So Saul called for David. David came before the king. Saul knew what he could do. So he said, here, take my armor, put it on you, little boy, and go on out and fight. Saul put on this armor that was too big for little shepherd boy David. David looked at Saul and said, this, sir, 
I can't fight with. I can't use this. But I use my memory. And if my memory serves me correct, I just used what the Lord gave me. There was a lion that came after my sheep. I beat that lion back with what the Lord gave me. There came a bear after my sheep. I beat that bear back with what the Lord gave me. So I'll do the same with this big old giant standing out there in the field. Challenge the people of God. So David goes on down the brook. Get him five smooth stones. He puts some, I see it in my mind's eye, in his satchel. And he goes on out with his shepherd staff. And he's walking out with his shepherd staff up to a ten foot tall giant. Giant so big, his shield got to be carried by other people. A giant so big, he got other people carrying his spear. A giant so big, everybody else was like a midget compared to him. But he showed up anyway. The giant was so big, he laughed at him and said, you come to me? As if I'm a dog with a stick because a shepherd's staff was used to fight off wild animals. But he says, I come. I come in the name of the Lord. He stood there realizing that the fullness of God has been placed on me. Do you understand that when you got the fullness of God, you could be pure and blameless? When you got the fullness of God, that means he's working on you until he's done. And David was just beginning his journey, and he took that smooth stone and put it in the sling. And all the time, with my mind's eye, I could see David said, Lord, will you guide this stone? Lord, I, 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 my aim might not be too good, but will you guide this stone? Because I'm standing in the name of the Lord. Good day now, children. May the Lord bless you real good. But on your way home, you ought to tell somebody that God's still working on me. And he can help me out just like David. David, in the midst of all my enemies, he complete a good work until the coming of Jesus Christ. And realize that I can build you up as you can build me up. And realize if God is for us, who can be against us? So you'll be able to stand in the power of God. David did not stand in his might. Knowing his power, but in the power of God. And Paul prayed this to the church of Philippi that they will be able to grow in God's love and knowledge and understand that they might be able to be pure and blameless. Didn't God say David had, was a man after his own heart? Don't you want him to say that about you? In order for that to happen, we too got to fully receive. Fully recessed and fully received because the Bible tells how we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, but we need to make sure we fully feed the Spirit so that we will grow in His love and in His knowledge and understanding. Because when we are filled up, and then it's easier for me to be a better saint, 
to keep you encouraged, to keep you lifted up, make sure you're walking right, pure and holy before the Lord. Because the Lord wants us to link up together. Not look down like we're better than somebody else. But let them know I once were where you were. That I was in need of his forgiveness. I was in need of his grace. Sometimes we judge the sin. Don't judge the sin. Just look at it and let them know that I too was in need of mercy. I too was in need of grace. And if it was not for his grace and his mercy, where would I be? And that's why Paul is able to have joy thinking about this church. Because they have not forsaken the spreading of the gospel. So Zion, our charge is to make sure that we don't forsake the spreading of the gospel, but we count it a joy and a purpose that we can raise somebody else just like young David. That they will encourage that I remember when I was, ri- raise, ri- wrote, I was being raised in Zion. That somebody told me how I can stand in the power of the Lord. That we will create a community that somebody will know when they go out into this world facing giants that they're not by themselves. But they're standing in the power of the Lord. So the power we have in fellowship is that if power comes from our God who gives us the power and the ability to encourage one another through love so that when he comes back, we won't have our heads bowed down, but we'll be able to stand up and have our eyes lifted up because he's completed us. He has completed us. He has completed us. So that's why we got to keep on the battlefield, keep our, our, our hands on the plow, and keep on pushing because God's not done with us yet, but he's still working with us. And every giant that comes your way, God can knock it down. So Zion, there's nothing too big, there's nothing too great because our God, he's great, and he's way bigger than anything and everything else. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Lord, we come. Lord, we come before you. Realizing, Lord, that it's all about you and not about us. Father, we pray, God, that we will forget about ourselves and truly concentrate on you, O oh God. That we realize, Lord, that you have made us for your glory and for your honor. And that, Lord, we should be loving one another. And surrendering one to another, Lord, as you called us to do so. That, Father, Lord, we will pray one for another that each one's love will grow. And that they will have the wisdom and knowledge and understanding. That they will be able to see what is evil and remove it from their lives, almighty God. And walk in your righteousness. Lord, we desire right now that you truly have your way with our hearts and with our minds. Father, we ask you forgive us. We repent right now for times we made it about ourselves. The times that we did not look out one for another. The times that we were cowering and scared and not trusting in your power and in your might. But Lord, right now we make a refreshed commitment to you right now, God. That we will try harder than we ever have before. That we will magnify you and glorify you by how we serve one another. And that you will receive the glory and that you will receive the praise. Still every head bowed and every eyes closed. There's someone here that wants to know the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he died on the cross for your grave and rose again. He died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the grave on the third day with all power in his hands. Every head, better eyes closed. If that's you, if that's you, we just want to pray this for dear Lord Jesus. 
I do believe that you are my Lord and my Savior, and that you died for my sins, and I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior to live in my heart forevermore. We love you, we magnify you, we worship you. Amen. May we, may we rise and stand the hand of discipleship.